Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Darkcast Network. Come to the dark side of podcasts. We have cookies. Cookies? We love cookies. <laughs> Hi, guys. I'm Courtney. And I'm Lisa. And we are the hosts of The Book of the Dead, a true crime podcast based out of New Jersey, where we tell you about the most obscure cases that you may have never heard of. So join us in The Book of the Dead library for another chapter of The Book of the Dead wherever you get your podcasts. Bye, guys. Hey, this is a true crime podcast that covers sexual material and murder, as well as colorful language at times. Listen at your own discretion. Hey there, Rainbow Warriors. Welcome to Beyond the Rainbow, true crimes of the LGBTQ+. I'm your host that freaking sparkles, CJ. I've realized the past few episodes I've sounded a little nasally. While just about everywhere else in America is cooking in the summer heat, the coast of Oregon is enjoying 65-degree temperatures and wind from the ocean. But with the wind comes pollen from the trees, so my allergies have been really acting up. I took an allergy pill before recording this episode, so hopefully I won't sound like I'm talking through my nose, which I guess is better than talking out my ass. Anywho... I'm on the socials as Rainbow Crimes, Dark Cast Network, and now Thin Blue Lie Pod. Maybe not all the socials is Thin Blue Lie Pod, but I do have Thin Blue Lie Pod on Twitter and soon to be on Instagram. But CJ, what is Thin Blue Lie? I'm so glad you asked, Warriors. I've already shared this with my patrons on Patreon. I'll be starting another podcast with two of my pod besties, Steph from Sinister Story Hour and Aurora from Murder Murder News and her new show, Burnt Marshmallows. The premise of Thin Blue Lie is to uncover the many cases of misconduct in law enforcement agencies. Each host will present a story. Two of them will be truths and one of them won't. It'll be up to the listener to decide which story is the lie. And while we are putting the game spin of Two Truths and a Lie on the show, we will also strive to get across how important it is to know real people have been victims too many times to harassment, abuse of power, and even death by some officers that have been less than honorable in their job duties. Thin Blue Lie podcast is set to launch in October, so please keep an eye out for it, and I'm sure I'll mention it to y'all again. Also, I'll be in Austin, Texas the end of August for the True Crime Paranormal Festival with a bunch of other great shows. Weird True Crime, Maybe Autumn's Oddities, A Hateful Homicide, 
True Consequences, A Nefarious Nightmare, and another podcast bestie of mine, Jen from Our True Crime Podcast, will be there, just to name a few of the shows. It's not too late to get your tickets on the True Crime Paranormal Festival website, which I'll leave a link for in the show notes. And if you type in Beyond at checkout, you'll receive 15% off your tickets. Please consider joining my Patreon for ad-free, early release episodes, and one extra episode called a Patreon exclusive at the end of each month. And if you leave your mailing address, I will send you some goodies. I'll leave a link for my Patreon in the show notes as well. Our main story this episode takes us to Australia for a tangled tale of love, mental illness, and dominance. As a child in England, Gemma Lilly was dyslexic, and she was also on the autism spectrum. Her former stepmother said she was an odd and diabolical child who was obsessed with serial killers, horror, and murder. The stepmother ended up leaving, mostly because Gemma scared the shit out of her in many ways, and Gemma's father was in denial about his daughter's creepy tendencies. In Gemma's teen years, she fantasized about becoming a serial killer, and as she got older, she decided she was going to write a fictional book about a serial killer. That killer's name was called S.O.S., and she published the book under a pseudonym called Sin, S-Y-N, Demon. Sin Demon. The book is called Playzone, and actually it looks pretty horrific, but I wouldn't waste your money on it for sure. The reviews say it's poorly written and full of grammatical as well as spelling errors. She also was very repetitive with her description of torture scenes. Gemma was most likely a product of nature over nurture. She was a very bad seed indeed. It's possible that some of her obsession with killers came from nurture also, as there's claims her biological mother was physically and mentally abusive. By the age of 18, Gemma scurried away from her family in England, and she moved herself to Perth, Australia. She found a job at a tattoo parlor, and not long after that, she met a gay man named Gordon Galbraith. She ended up marrying Gordon so she could legally remain in Australia as a citizen. But by 2014, when Gemma was 23, Gordon had taken his own life. With a little bit of help, Gemma was able to purchase a home in Perth. The street could have been named Main Street, First Lane, or even something more creative like Rhododendron Avenue. But Gemma, she affectionately called her abode Elm Street. This was in honor of movie nightmare legend Freddy Krueger. He was Gemma's hero. She even had a sign made up to attach to her fence that said Elm Street. But that wasn't really the name of the street her house was on. When Gordon, her husband of convenience, was still alive, Gemma met a friend of his, who was a 42-year-old single mother of two boys, the woman's name Trudy Lennon. Gemma and Trudy became fast friends. By 2016, the relationship between Gemma and Trudy had grown into a very peculiar one. Gemma was dominant. And Trudy, who, by all accounts, was head over heels in love with Gemma, was her submissive in their Fifty Shades of Gay tryst. 
the two became involved in the BDSM community, and Trudy, who was in the BDSM community before meeting Gemma, went by the name Corvina during her submissive playtimes. Gemma would often visit Trudy and her kids, and she was a little bit appalled at how gross their living situation was, so she took it upon herself to invite Trudy and the kids to move in with her to her Elm Street home. Trudy, ever so obedient to the much younger woman, of course accepted, and she became Gemma's housemate. Now, under the same roof, Gemma could bind, humiliate, and beat Trudy as she pleased, and Trudy would happily take whatever Gemma was dishing out. It gave Trudy a renewal on life, so to speak, and that, topped off with the love feelings she had towards Gemma, made Trudy very content and agreeable to do whatever Gemma asked of her. Gemma soon told Trudy of her dreams of becoming a serial killer and Trudy, not sensing any mental illness of her new partner at all, willingly became Gemma's accomplice. Perhaps Trudy didn't sense any mental illness in Gemma because she too suffered from some form of mental illness as well. I mean, doesn't that make sense? Anyone who's enthusiastic about killing people with someone else, they must not totally be all there. And even if she were so in love with Gemma, Someone who didn't suffer from mental illness would know it's wrong to plot murders, no matter how much you love that someone. Just saying. As serial killers, the two women adopted their code names. Gemma went by SOS, and Trudy used her BDSM name of Corvina. After three weeks of living together, the couple declared themselves ready to kill. Via text or an online exchange between Gemma and Trudy, Gemma claims, I feel as though I cannot rest until the blood or flesh of a screaming victim is gushing out and pooling on the floor. I cannot shift this belief that the world has become not only ready for me, but it needs me to be ready. In which Trudy replied back, It's definitely time. I'm ready. You are ready. With that, the two women started to look for their first victim. Trudy offered up a teenager, 18-year-old Erin Pajic Sweetman. She had met Erin while attending a vocational college. Erin had Asperger's syndrome, which is a high-functioning form of autism. Erin had also struck up a friendship with Trudy's 14-year-old son. They both shared the love of computer games. Gemma thought Aaron would be the perfect vulnerable victim to start them off. Aaron was of slight build, weighing only 110 pounds or 51 kilograms. As part of their planning process, the women visited a hardware store to purchase a circular saw, tarp, bleach, cement, a large plastic barrel, and some acetone. I had to look up why they'd get acetone. And I want to apologize to the FBI if you're checking my search history. But apparently acetone can be used like chloroform to make someone go unconscious. And these items were just the start of the women's kill kit. They also fabricated a garrote, which is a strangulation tool, usually made from wire or thin rope and some type of handle on each side. 
The women also put together a torture chamber in a spare bedroom of the house. In that room, all four walls were covered with blue tarps. The floor was made of tile. They also kept a gurney and an array of knives, a cleaver, and a bone saw in there. The day before the lure of Aaron, the women went on another shopping spree. This time they went to multiple stores and purchased a hundred liters of hydrochloric acid. Again, if any FBI are listening, I did a search on hydrochloric acid and what it does. Hydrochloric acid is extremely caustic, and it's been used in acid attacks to burn people's skin. And while it's not as strong as nitric or sulfuric acids, it can do a lot of damage to a human's epidermis. Aaron lived as a boarder with a woman named Adrian. On June 13, 2016, Aaron received a phone call from Trudy. She invited him over to exchange computer games with her son. On the phone, she told Aaron he could download all the games he wanted from her son's computer. All he had to do was meet her in the parking lot of a shopping center. Aaron was excited, and he asked Adrian, his landlady, if she would take him to the shopping center. Adrian was almost like a caretaker for Aaron, too, I gather. She happily gave him a ride, not knowing it would be the last time she would ever see Aaron alive. Once the trio of Gemma, Trudy, and Aaron arrived back at Gemma and Trudy's home, Gemma jumped on Aaron's back, knocking the small young man to the ground, and then she tried to strangle him using her garrote. But the homemade weapon, it snapped in her hands. Trudy, a large-framed woman, sat on little Aaron, pinning him down while Gemma stabbed him three times. Gemma stabbed him twice in his neck and once in his chest. And then, to make sure they completed the job, they wrapped Aaron's head in saran wrap. Aaron was indeed dead. The women, especially Gemma, were hyped up and euphoric from their first kill. They moved Aaron's body from the carpeted living room to the torture room. Then they wrapped Aaron's body in one of the blue tarps and transported it to the backyard on their gurney. Once out there, they buried him in a shallow grave, and then they went back inside and cut out the piece of carpet with Aaron's blood and disposed of it. Two days later, Adrian, Aaron's landlady, reported him missing to the police. It was not like Aaron to stay gone overnight anywhere, especially without notifying Adrian. And now he had been gone way longer than he normally would be. Several days later, Gemma, Trudy, and her boys poured cement and tile over the grave. This was including the 14-year-old son who unknowingly was camouflaging the body of his friend Aaron. A little over a week since Aaron had went missing, and on a tip from Adrian of her dropping Aaron off at the shopping mall, the police were investigating and had a hit on the CCTV footage of the shopping center's parking lot. They also found the last call on Aaron's phone was a call to Trudy Lennon. The film footage showed Aaron getting into Trudy's car, and there was another woman in it as well. That other woman, of course, turned out to be Gemma. There seemed to be a camera pointing at Gemma's house also, and the footage of that camera captured Aaron walking into the home the women shared, but the camera never saw Aaron walking out. The police moved in on the two women and they arrested them. 
Immediately, Gemma and Trudy turned on each other. Gemma saying she was sleeping when Trudy killed Aaron, and Trudy saying she only watched Gemma kill Aaron and then she helped dispose of his body. Their trial lasted five weeks, in which Gemma would spend five days of it on the stand. Trudy remained quiet. Gemma claimed their written exchanges in DMs or texts were just them role-playing for an upcoming book she was writing. A co-worker of Gemma's testified that she had told him about Aaron's murder, and she seemed very gleeful and enthusiastic about it. She had even told her co-worker that the police were so stupid they would never catch her. And then she proceeded to tell the guy if he said anything to anyone, she'd have to make the problem go away, which intimidated her co-worker enough to keep his mouth shut. Still fearing he might tell someone, Gemma texted him later saying she was just joking and made the whole thing up. Another of Gemma's co-workers testified she had told him she wanted to be a serial killer and to leave her mark on the world. In November of 2017, both women were found guilty of the first-degree premeditated murder of Aaron. While awaiting their sentencing hearings, Gemma became romantically involved with a fellow inmate named Melanie Atwood. Melanie was incarcerated for helping her white supremacist boyfriend murder a man. In 2018, in a minimum security prison, these two women would walk around holding hands, sitting on each other's laps, and partaking in other intimate affections. Gemma, of course, was the dominant one. The low-risk prison they're being contained at is normally for small beans-type criminals and for those that are nearly set to be released from prison. But it seemed that the maximum security prison would have been a riskier place for these two women. I'm not a 100% sure why for Melanie, but for Gemma, authorities wanted her nowhere near Trudy. So Trudy was put in the high-security prison, which I found kind of odd, seeing Gemma was truly the brains behind Aaron's murder and she was seemingly more sinister between the two. At the high-security prison, just before she was sentenced, Trudy was standing in line with other inmates waiting for her medication. Another prisoner crept up behind her with a kettle full of boiling hot water, and she poured it all over Trudy. Nearly 30% of Trudy's body was burned, causing severe damage to her back, her shoulders, her boobs, her arms, and her fingers. But Trudy will have ample time to recover, seeing as how both her and Gemma were sentenced to life, with a minimal of 28 years served before being considered for parole. Gemma's dad went on record after the women were sentenced, and this poor old dude, he's in complete denial. He claims Gemma doesn't have a bad bone in her body. But then again, Jeffrey Dahmer's grandmother thought the same thing about him as well. There was a little bit of unicorn justice in this case. More so for Trudy than Gemma, it would seem. Rest in power, Aaron. Our true crime quickie this episode comes to us from New Zealand in May of 1999. Look at us being world travelers this episode. First Australia, now New Zealand. And I don't even have a passport. I would like to preface this story by letting you know 
No one is 100% sure if the victim was gay, bi, or questioning his sexuality. He did have a journal he kept, and in it were entries of various gay sexual encounters he wrote about. In the wee hours of May 8, 1999, a young life was lost. 14-year-old Jeff Whittington may not have been a Disney Channel kid. You know, the straight-laced, clean-cut, G-rated type. Jeff lived with his dad. He smoked cigarettes, he smoked marijuana, and he drank alcohol. He had a potty mouth. His hair was dyed purple, he dressed flamboyantly. His fingernails were painted green, his ears and his lips were pierced. Jeff lived in Wellington, which is the capital of New Zealand. This particular night in May, Jeff was drunk and high on Datura. Datura is also called a thorn apple. It's from the deadly nightshade family of plants, and when taken, it can act as a hallucinogen. The Datura tea he consumed was made for him at a friend's apartment before they left to go dancing and drinking at a club. Jeff, who looked older than his 14 years, maybe because he was a tall kid, stumbled around the streets after leaving the club and his friends. An officer was walking past Jeff and saw him lose his footing but helped upright the boy, and then the officer asked if Jeff was okay. Jeff assured the officer he was fine and he was just on his way home. So the officer took Jeff at his word and he carried on and went about his night. The streets that Jeff was near were lined with cafes, art boutiques, neon-lit bars, and strip clubs. So Jeff might have looked like he really fit in with his style of dress. Down the street, the neighborhood began to look darker. A little after 4 a.m., two men, 25-year-old Jason Meads and 27-year-old Stephen Smith, were driving by when they spotted Jeff. And because Jeff looked differently than them, he immediately had a target locked on him by the two men. They pulled over and asked Jeff if he wanted to go with them to smoke a joint, and then they could give him a ride home. At first, Jeff told him to fuck off, but then he decided, All right, let's go. The two men, Jason and Stephen, drove Jeff to another area of the city. They parked and yanked Jeff out of the car. Once Jeff was outside, the two men wailed on him, punching him and kicking him in his face. They were also calling him names. The relentless beating finally ended, and Jason and Stephen got back in the car and sped away, leaving Jeff curled up on the sidewalk, bleeding profusely. A couple walking by discovered Jeff kneeling on the ground with his arms outstretched. They asked if he was okay if he needed help. Jeff couldn't form an intelligible word. So the couple knocked on a door of a nearby home and they asked the residents to call the police. The couple waited with Jeff, but the police never came. Realizing the people at the first house must have went back to bed, the couple knocked on a door of another house and they asked these residents to call emergency services. How horrifying not to have a cell phone, but it was 1999. When emergency services arrived, Jeff was taken to the hospital. He was hooked up to life support, and this is where he would die later from the severity of his wounds. The medical examiner said Jeff had swelling on his brain caused by multiple blows to his head. There were also boot prints on Jeff's skin. 
The following day, Jason and Stephen were bragging to their friends about how they fucked up a faggot, and they were laughing about how the fag was bleeding from areas they didn't even know anyone could bleed from. When the news of Jeff's murder hit the streets, the friends of Jason and Stephen were talking to the police and relaying the story that the two men had told them. Jason and Stephen were apprehended and charged with murder. Both claimed they didn't mean to kill the boy. At Jason and Stephen's trial, their defense attorney argued Jeff was on Detura, and this hallucinogen made Jeff difficult and combative, and that's why Jason and Stephen beat him. It was self-defense. Here's the thing. Jason and Stephen could have just drove on by, and that's how the jury saw it as well. Both men were sentenced to life in prison, which actually is kind of a joke, because neither man would serve out that life term. After 11 years, Jason was released, although he was considered a risk at repeat offending. Stephen, a career criminal, was also released, and he's been back in prison several times. Jason was busted, and he was put back in prison for a short time due to drug possession. These two fucking idiots should have been made to stay locked up. They're both menaces to society and repeat offenders. They took a child's life. Eleven years is nothing compared to that. There was a very small minimal of unicorn justice in this case. And might I mention also the lack of parenting of Jeff in this story really fucking pisses me off. Why is this 14-year-old boy out clubbing? Why is he walking the streets at four in the morning? I don't know. But 14 years old is still a child that needs supervision. It seems to me his parent figure kind of just gave up on him. And I don't mean to blame Jeff's dad, because I don't know the situation or the circumstances. But come on. Rest in power, Jeff. Love you, Rainbow Warriors. You matter. And remember, it's not a crime to be gay, unless you're a murderer. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 